what is stewardship? Stewardship is everything I do after I say I believe in Jesus Christ. Here's a little interview to prove it. Today on Action Financial News, we conclude our two-part series on a rather bizarre investment technique that's evidently practiced out in the open by the faithful. Tithing is a biblical term wherein believers give their hard-earned money back to God. After last week's story, we did some more digging and discovered that this tithing trend is much bigger than we thought. It's not just confined to one denomination or country, it's worldwide. Hoping to find the answer as to why people would do this without a gun to their head, we expanded our range hoping to find a reason for this inexplicable practice. I'm going to start off and ask the same question I asked last week. Why do you do it? The reason that we find tithing important is because we kind of look at it from the point of view that God has blessed us with so much. And as Geraldton blessing us with so much, we really want to find a way to give back to Him, to give back to the church that, um, that we're a part of, to give to people and places and things that are meaningful for Him and are therefore meaningful for us. Who is the first one between the two of you to tithe? I would say Bobby probably started things <laughs> off. Truth comes out. <laughs> so I, well, I was a Christian just a little bit before Lynn was, and so heard Brewer, Mark Brewer, tithe, uh, preach on tithing, and it just really, I don't know, really got to me that I needed to do this as a Christian, and so I had always given, you know. 20 or $50 here or there and thought that I was doing a big thing, but I did the math on the 10% and realized that it was a lot more money than I ever realized that I would give. And then you do, you do, do you tithe on the net or the gross? I mean, you can get really, you know, legalistic about it, but it made a really big difference in my life. Mm -hmm. And then Len is now the ring leader without question in our family on tithing. I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but how much money do you give away? <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that between God and us. <laughs> Crazy time. What if everybody did this? We think there'd be transformation that would occur, not just mm -hmm. in this city, but in the entire country and entire world. If the people within the body of Christ chose to follow what God's calling us to do in a meaningful way in this particular area, you would see so many lives transformed right before our very eyes and around the world. Do you have advice for those who haven't started tithing? Start now and start with whatever you have and don't feel like you need to be a rich person to tithe because we're not rich but we're faithful and I think that that's what the Lord is looking for is just faithful givers. I, lo I love stories. Give me a good tithing story. I heard this uh, sermon preached once before by a uh, by a pastor, and he said that he sort of had the, um, an allowance that was coming in when he was uh, a little kid. And he said he would get 10 cents, and that his uh, father would pay him with five a nickel and five pennies. And he sort of taught him that the concept of the tithe was to give that one penny in the offering basket when he went to church every time he got his allowance. So he got into the habit of doing so, and by the time he got to college and after college, he realized that he was making a lot more than 10 cents. But when he was starting to write one of the checks for the first time, he thought to himself, my gosh, this is quite a bit of money. And he's paused for a second, and he really felt God telling him, it's just a penny. And that's mm. sort of the approach that you know we tend to take ourselves as well, is that um, if we individually and the body of Christ collectively um, can find a way to just give that one penny, how much more will God be glorified? How much more people will be blessed? And there you have it. Against all rational thought, tithing seems to be something these people deem a rational, satisfying investment technique. 
I'm sorry. I just, I just don't get it. Well, I pray she gets it. That's all I know. Sermon lesson today is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 24, and we will read verses 18 through 25. 2 Samuel chapter 24. It's up on the screen. Now, a couple of provisos. One, Gad, G-A-D, is a prophet of God. His first name is not Ye. Second, we really don't know how to pronounce all the names that are in the Old Testament. So we kind of make it up as we go along. We guess. But for the purpose of this morning, let's use Aruna. Say that with me. Aruna. His name's going to come up in this passage several times, so if we say the same thing, there's a chance it might have a little more relevance to us. How about that? Are you ready to read? All right, together, let's read the Word of God. That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord had commanded. When Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him, and Aruna went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. And this, O king, Aruna, gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. So the Lord answered his supplication for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. My friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the Word. How much is a billion? Well, Twitter last Thursday did an IPO, and they generated $1.8 billion dollars. We spent 20 billion on airport security last year. Coca-Cola is prepared to spend 4 billion on promoting their products in China in the upcoming years. In addition to that, churches across America spent 6 billion dollars last year on new construction. How much is a billion? A billion is three zeros more than a million. A billion seconds ago was 1959. A billion minutes ago, Jesus was walking around Jerusalem, the Jordan, Judea, and Jericho. Your government spends a billion dollars every eight hours in Washington, D.C. But get this. There are 1.6 billion people on this planet 
that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. 1.6 billion. That's nearly a quarter of the world's population. And Christians all over the world, the global church, do you know what we average per person in terms of our investment in world evangelism? 3.5 cents. That's what we average. 3.5 cents to try to reach the 1.6 billion people on this planet who have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that say? It says there's something terribly wrong with our Christian understanding of how we're supposed to use our resources. Last year in America, we spent a hundred times more money on dog food than we did on evangelism. We have a challenge on our hands. David was the king of Israel. Was he a great leader? Absolutely. Was he successful? Absolutely. Was he vulnerable? You better believe it. Greed, conceit, pride, lust, it was all there. King David. And yet the strange thing is, God calls him at one point, a man after my own heart. Isn't it astounding how unconditional God's love is for the likes of us, and even for the likes of David? Well, we just read from 2 Samuel chapter 24. The, what's in back of this is really important to understand because God's very angry with David. Why is God so mad at David? Because David did a census. Well, what's wrong with doing a census? You do a census if you're getting ready to draft young people into the military. You do a census if you're getting ready to tax the people more. And all David did was decide to do a census. And God didn't like it one little bit. David goes to his chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a man named Joab, and says, Joab, I want you and your commanders to go out and do a census. And Joab says, David, I don't, you better not do that. It doesn't look like you're trusting God. It looks like you're trusting some numbers. And David said, I want a census done, and that's what you're going to do. So Joab and his commanders went out. They spent nine months and 20 days doing a census of Israel and of Judah. They discovered in Israel, rough number, 800,000 warriors. They discovered in Judah, 500,000 warriors. 800,000, 500,000, 1.3 million warriors. David felt secure in that. David thought, that's the kind of military force I want. That's the kind of support I expect. That's the kind of support that has been entrusted to me. And God was angry because David was not trusting God. He was trusting his numbers. He was into numbers as opposed to naming the Lord as the source of his strength. His power was vested in his military and their brain power. His chariots, his horses, his ammunition, whatever. He was trusting that as opposed to the power of God. To that point, you see, God had always intervened and taken care of Israel. But now David says, I've got the forces. I can handle this. And he's in serious trouble. Gad, the prophet of God, comes back to him and he says, David, do you know what you've done? You have insulted Almighty God. Are you telling me that human beings can insult Almighty God? That's what it sounds like. David, do you understand what you've done is hurt God? You've really denied the power of God. You have no idea how that has hurt God. 
And as a result, David, you're going to have to take some real poison here. And he said, here's what you got to choose. This is what you have to choose. Are you going to do three years of famine in the land, three years, three months, rather, while your enemies chase you, and three days of pestilence that God will bring on your people? So hunger, enemies, and pestilence. David said, well, I'd rather fall into the hands of the living God than into the hands of my enemies. And so he chooses the pestilence. He's trusting the mercy of God. And I have no idea what the pestilence was. What we do know is that 70,000 people died within that three-day period as a result of this pestilence. You talk about payback, there was a little payback. And the anger of God was certainly kindled against David and his people for doing this census. And that's where we pick up this story in 2 Samuel 24. And so David's pleading with the prophet of God, what do we got to do to avert this? How do we arrest all of this? And the prophet of God says to him, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna. Aruna is standing at his ranch, leaning up against a fence post, looking down the valley, and he sees this cloud of dust coming towards him. And he says, Sarah, get out here and take a look at this. You're not going to believe there's something coming our way. Could he distinguish it? Of course not. It wasn't until they got close. And once King David and his entourage got close, Aruna falls on his face before the Lord and says, What have I done that brings you here? And David said, I need to erect an altar. I need to make an offering to the Lord so that this plague might be arrested or averted. And so Aruna says, Listen, you can have it all. They're, they're the oxen. Go ahead. Kill the oxen. And if you need some kindling, there's the wood. Take the yoke. Take whatever else you need. Split it up. Put a fire under that thing and make your offering to the Lord. And I, I pray that the Lord will honor your offering, King David. And David says to Aruna, in verse 24, no, 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 no. No, I buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David paid the price, made the offering. The poison was averted. The pestilence stopped. And there was peace. As I read the New Testament, Jesus was not against possessions. Jesus was against a spirit of possessiveness. And what Jesus really wants us to understand is that all that we have and enjoy, all that we are is a gift from God. And what the scriptures ask 39 times is that we take a tenth of all that has been given to us and reinvest it into institutions that preserve life. That's the request. What do you think is the best-selling item? What do they sell the most of at Walmart? Bananas. Don't say I don't give you good information. <laughs> they sell more bananas than anything else at Walmart. A young mother who was wheeling her shopping cart through the produce, produce section of a Walmart, and she had her five-year-old son with her. And as they were wheeling through 
the produce section, she chatted up the produce manager and they were having a good time talking and the produce manager pulled off a banana and gave it to her five-year-old son. And so she turns to the son and says, now what do you say to the nice man who just gave you the gift of a banana? And he looked at her and he looked at the manager and he took his banana, handed it back to the manager and said, peel it! <laughs> you know, everything we have and everything we are is really a gift from God. A Texan friend of mine said, before encountering Jesus Christ, he said, I figured all the money I earned, it was mine. I could do with it as I please. If I wanted to be silly with the money, it didn't matter. It was nobody's business but mine. It was my money. I'd earn it. I could do whatever I wanted with it. But he said, after I encountered Jesus Christ, after I came to terms with the claims of Christ on my life, I realized that everything I have is really a gift from God. I also understood that I'm just penciled in. I'm just here for a very short period of time. And that everything I have just drifts through my fingers. And I'm going to be held accountable for how I used all the trust that has been placed in my hand. He said, I now understand that I'm not an owner of all of this. I am but a steward. A steward. If you go to the Indianapolis 500, you will discover that there are all kinds of stewards at that race. Do the stewards own the track? No. Do they own the prizes? No. Do they own the cars? No. Do they own the drivers? No. Do they own the concessions? No. They are but stewards of the race. They make sure that people comply with the rules. They make sure that it's fair. They make sure that it's an honorable sporting event. But they are stewards, not owners. Jesus spoke four times as often, get this, four times as often about money as he did about faith and prayer. Jesus knew what would get our attention. Because of the cross of Calvary, you are in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the love of Christ for you and for me, that love is irrational. But better than that, it's unconditional. And we don't understand how it all works. In your cranium and mine is three and a half pounds of a gray jelly-like substance called the brain. The brain. The brain has five trillion, get this, five trillion chemical operations per second. And researchers tell us that they have no idea how memories stick in the brain. They also say they have no idea how we are able to retrieve memories in the brain. They also say that there's no way yet to understand exactly how the brain makes our limbs react. Oh, they have some hints. But the researchers say they really don't know. There are 86 billion neurons in my head and in yours. 86 billion, there's that billion again, neurons in your head and mine. Each of those neurons have a connector. In fact, each of them has a thousand connectors. We have heads to make money and hearts to give it. 
the Bible is very specific about how we are to handle our resources. And the implication of the Word of God over and over is that if you are generous, you can anticipate God's blessing in your life. Does that mean you're going to get a Mercedes this week? No, I don't think so. But it may mean peace of mind for you. It may mean a positive relationship with the Lord. It may be that your prayer life takes on new meaning. There are a lot of things a whole lot more important than mere dollars. David said to Aruna, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord my God which cost me nothing. I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord my God which cost me nothing. Several years ago I had the opportunity to meet Sir John Templeton. Templeton was famous because of the Templeton Fund. It since has merged with other financial uh, units, but very powerful. And Sir John Templeton was a Presbyterian. He's been dead about two years now. He was a trustee of Princeton Theological Seminary. He also created the Templeton Prize for Science and Religion, and the prize is much bigger than the Nobel Prize. But Templeton, I heard him say this. He said, if people in America would just live on 80% of their income, invest 10%, and give 10%, they'll never have a problem. Live on 80%. He said, the problem is most Americans won't live on 80% of their income. But if they live on 80% and invest 10% and give 10%, they'll never have a problem. All I know is it's worked in my home. It's worked in the home of my children. And I dare to believe old Templeton's right. In a few moments, you're going to have the opportunity to fill out one of these pledge cards. And it really is a thank you note to God. It's not a message that you're sending to me or to this church or its leadership or this denomination. It really is a pledge card, a thank you note to God. And it's a fresh opportunity for you to take a step of faith. Linda and I, as I've said before, always add a dimension of excitement. We figure out what we can do, sure. But then we add something to that just for the fun of it to see if we can do it. And it's happened over and over again. The CEO at Hyundai the other day said this, never set a target you know you can hit. Pretty good line. Never set a target you know you can hit. I want to give to a redemptive cause that will outlive me. And I believe Bel Air Presbyterian Church is a redemptive cause that will indeed outlive me. We have 96 people on the staff here at Bel Air. That's down from what it was because we had to make some cutbacks a couple of years ago. So you have 96 staff. These folks have not had an across-the-board raise in three years. These folks are dedicated to the Lord. They're dedicated to this operation. But they're certainly not here for money. We owe 9.3 million on our facilities. 9.3 million. That's real money to me. It's a lot of money. Are we servicing the debt? Yes. Are we paying down some principal? Yes. Are we saying, paying some interest to the bank? Absolutely. But we're at least working on it. 9.3 million. You realize that half the people on this planet have no idea what a telephone is. They don't have any telephones. Half the middle school students in America have cell phones. 
at least half, right? Seventh grade girl the other day was trying to get her mother to give her a cell phone, and the mother refused. And the seventh grader was complaining to one of her friends, and she said, my mother won't do this. She is just so mean. The other kid said, you're not asking for the right thing. She said, what do you mean I'm not asking for the right thing? She said, you need to ask for a pony first. <laughs> when Linda and I fill out this pledge card, we are doing our best not to insult God, not to hurt God. David said, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. There's a line that I've heard for many, many years, and it goes like this. You were young only once, but you can be immature indefinitely. I love that. You are young only once, but you can be immature indefinitely. I don't know about you, but I've met some very mature 16-year-olds and some very immature 60-year-olds. The truth is, we drift in and out of maturity all the time. The biblical call for us is to pursue maturity. Check it out in Philippians 2. What's amazing is we can be very mature in here, and then we get on 405 and become very immature. To be young is to swim in pools that you did not dig. To be mature is to build pools in which you will probably never swim. To be young is to go to a school that you did not build. To be mature is to build schools in which you will probably never study. To be young is to enjoy the shade of a tree that you did not plant. To be mature is to plant trees whose shade you may never get to enjoy. To be young is to dance to songs that you did not write. To be mature is to write songs to which you will probably never dance. To be young is to benefit from a church that you did not build. To be mature is to build a church whose benefits you may never get to realize. You are young only once, but you can be immature indefinitely. This pledge card is a call to maturity. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let us pray. Gracious God, we don't know why you've entrusted so much to us. We know that we are among the most privileged people on this planet. Thank you for that. Help us to be realists in terms of how we handle our resources. And, oh God, we pray that as we present our offerings, our tithes, and our pledge cards to you, even in these baskets this morning, that it will be indeed an act of dedication on our part. Thank you for all you've extended to us in Jesus Christ. Receive our gratitude in this act of our worship. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. On the pew rack, there is a pledge card. I hope you will take time to fill it out. I hope you will pray about your part. The question is, what would honor Christ and bless your life? Now you may say, Dave, I don't want to come forward. It's awkward for me. If you just raise your hand, one of our ushers will gladly come by 
and pick up your card. We want you to bring your cards up, your offerings, your tithes, whatever. Place them in the baskets as an act of dedication to God. Now let me tell you something. This is not show business. This is a serious moment in worship where you present yourselves to the Lord with sincerity. And I pray God's blessing on you as you do this, and I urge you to come now and do just that. God bless you as you give.